0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. Well, here we are. We find ourselves in week four of the book of Jonah. Um, We are going to be looking, as he read there, the last verse in chapter one. And then in chapter two, all of chapter two, all ten verses, is really Jonah's prayer, all right, it's, it's just kind of his crying out to God with the kind of the situation he's in, and if you're not familiar, if you're a guest with us today, this is a, um, an Old Testament book. This is 700 and some years before Jesus was born, uh, before Jesus took on flesh, um, and, and Jonah is this prophet, we call him a minor prophet just because the book is small, and, and um And he's been asked by God to to go to this city called Nineveh and tell them to repent. It's a pagan city. It's well over 100,000, 150,000 people, we believe, maybe more. Um, And he's been told to go and tell them to repent. Or basically, in 40 days, they're going to be destroyed. And Jonah doesn't want to do it. And even though Jonah is... A godly man, he flees on a boat, pays a fare, gets on a ship, and leaves Joppa, and is heading for the farthest away that he can get, all the way across the Mediterranean, which is right at the top of what we would say is Morocco and France, Uh, right there. We think that's where he's going to a a city called Turkish. So God's not going to let him go that far. And so what we saw last week is that Jonah is disobedient. He gets on the ship, but then God creates a storm, and and basically one thing leads to another, and to get the storm to stop, Jonah basically says, okay, guys, just throw me overboard, because I know that's what's going to take for God to relent, and so they throw him over, and the storm stops, and what do we see? We see it seemingly that the sailors, who were always probably Phoenicians and, and Gentiles, obviously, believe. Like they, they, it looks like they come to know God. I mean, they come to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and they make offerings, it says. And, and we're not sure of all that, but, but clearly a transformation seems to be happening. They were praying to their God and nothing was happening, little g God. And then when the God of the Hebrews reveals himself, not only in the storm, but in the ceasing of the storm, their hearts are cut to the core and they seemingly believe. And that's where we kind of ended it. We just, Jonah's in the water. We left. <laughs> and so now we pick it up, and, and, and Jonah's writing. But what I want to talk to you about before we dive into the text is, is prayer. Because what we're going to look at is, is 10 verses, basically, of Jonah's prayer to God. And so I want to take you, once again, back to the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, Jesus says, And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. He's talking to the Christians here, his followers. They would just say things, to be pontificating about things, you know, empty, just ritualistic things. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Then he says in 6 through 13, he says, pray like this. Our Father, hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. We also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. So Jesus has given us a model there. I know when I was in Lutheran church, we used to say that probably every week at the Lutheran church. Nothing wrong with that, but just remember that's a that's a template for our prayer life. Jesus didn't say, pray this prayer. He said, pray like this. Like, this is the, the, the way that you should pray. What does he mean by that? There's lots of things we don't have time. We've taught on that before, and we'll surely teach on it again. But it's this idea of, where's our mindset when we enter into prayer? What, what is the thought here? And I just quickly, we're going to zoom through this a little bit. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Notice the first thing that he says to do is acknowledge who God is. He's in heaven. He is sovereign. He's majestic. He is God. He is the only God. Hallowed be your name. Make your name holy in all the world and in me. Sometimes we think, oh, make your name holy everywhere. No, I think what he's saying is make your name holy in me. Like how I live May people see your holiness. May they see your goodness. May they see who you are. Make, it, make yourself holy in me. And then he says, your will be done. Not mine. Not Jonah's. Right? I know he's not talking about Jonah here, but this goes to all of us. When you pray, it's not your will that you should be wanting. And we always want, it, we want our will. Why? We do what we do because we want what we want. That's our will. We want something. Oh, we always want something. Our flesh always wants something. And it says, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because in heaven it's clearly his will. We would, nobody would argue with that. On earth we would say it's clearly not his will being done a lot of times. And so that Jesus is saying you should want his will here on earth, and that means it's in you again, right? How this all manifests out is that it takes place in our hearts. Give us this day our daily bread. No, this is it's a dependence upon God. Give us. Like we need we, we can't do this without you. Forgive us. Once again, we go for forgiveness. We're going to God again, right? As we also forgive our debtors. And lead us. In other words, I don't even know where I'm going. I'm blind. <laughs> Tell me where to go, Lord. Lead us not in temptation. But what? But deliver us. Notice every one of those statements is dependence upon God. Lead us. Give us. Forgive us. We, they, What Jesus is saying is rightly understand and acknowledge who God is. Many times in our prayer life, we just come to God and we start. It's nothing wrong with asking for things. That's very appropriate. We're children. We come to God. We ask. we, We want things. But really what God is saying or Jesus is trying to tell them is the most important thing about our prayer life is that we get God right in who he is and we honor him for who he is. That's the beginning of any sound prayer life. And so, as we look at his prayer today, we're going to see some things that Jonah acknowledges in his prayer. Because up until this point, he's been darn rebellious, right? And I still think there's some rebellion in him, and you're going to see that in weeks to come. But, but right now, he's been thrown into the water, right? So what's your big idea for this morning? Our prayer should magnify God. Our prayers should magnify God. That's the primary purpose I believe the foundational piece of our prayer life is it should make much of God. We talk about magnify. Um, besides burning ants, that just popped into my head, you know, with a magnifying glass when I was 10, 12, I don't know. Um, toy story that comes to my mind all of a sudden, I don't know. A magnifying glass makes something bigger. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to make much of God. Like, is the world making much of God? No. No. But yet scripture says, in Isaiah 43, 7, right? It says, for everyone who's been created by me, basically, I've done this for my glory. I've created you for my glory. God has made all things, us specifically, to represent his glory. It's about him. It's about him making much of himself through his people. And I want to say, church, that's what our job is. That's our, that's our privilege, is to make much of him. He's giving you eternity. He's given you life. He's given you salvation if you're a believer this morning. He's given you eternity. He, there is much to be made of him. He's forgiven sin, a, a countless amount of sin in our lives. And how has he done it? By dying and suffering for us. There is much to be made of him. So I want to just share this with you, and we're going to move really quickly here this morning because we've got a lot to cover. Um, when Jonah begins to pray here, I just want to kind of frame this up for you. you I'm going to read you a psalm here in a minute, uh, part of a psalm, and it, it's going to, you're going to hear parts of this psalm in his prayer, and we're going to read some other parts of psalms. Now think about this. Jonah's writing this not when he's in the belly of the fish, <laughs> This is after he's been thrown up somewhere, probably back at Joppa, back on land, someplace in his life, in his ministry. He writes this, right? And he's thinking back about what he was praying, what he was doing, what was happening in his life. He's recounting this historical event, and then he's writing what? his prayer. Now, remember that the psalmists, the psalms were already written, so Jonah, as a prophet, probably knew these psalms. Many of them maybe memorized, had been written on his heart or was reading them himself. So it would make sense that some of the things in Jonah's prayer are being pulled from the psalms. The same things that David and the psalmist was, was sharing when they were writing from their heart. These are the same feelings that Jonah's experienced. And So he, he puts these words down. They're from his heart, but they are very reminiscent of the psalmist. And so here we go, in Psalm 18, verses 4 through 6, and think about the psalmist here and what he's saying and where Jonah's at. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. This is kind of the foundation, probably where Joan is getting his, his prayer, his, isn't, Psalm 119 is all about, you know, hiding God's word, meditating on his word, um, hiding it in our hearts, Psalm 1,1911. And this idea that when we do that, we will pray scripture. We will pray those principles. We, we will, that's why reading the Psalms in your prayer life is so wonderful. Because you can, just, you can just partner with the psalmist many times. And so here, let's see what it says here in Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So here he's closing out what we would say chapter one, that was a number that we put in there, but he's closing out this section of his his letter in the very beginning before he goes into his prayer. And what do we see here? He's acknowledging something. The Lord appointed the great fish. Not random chance. This was not something that just, well, fortunately this took place. He sees God's provision. He sees God's salvation here in the fish. The fish represents that. And it says, this idea that he appointed. First of all, he knows that it's the Lord, and the Lord appointed. What does that? that mean? Words means he prepared, He he assigned, he instructed the fish to do this. This was at the hand of God, the command of God, that this fish was supposed to do this. And why? Because God had a plan here, what he was doing. His plan was unfolding. His plan was to get the storm to come and then to have him throw overboard and God had already appointed this way of salvation before this thing was ever happened, because he already knew Jonah was going to do this and so the fish has been appointed and then he goes on there and he says and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights now once again I want to caution you and caution myself that when we come to texts like this we want to be careful that we don't say oh this is exactly why God did this <laughs> because I don't know exactly why But I think it's very strong, the fact that God is saying in this text, or Jonah is saying in this text, that he spent three days and three nights, and I know that sounds very familiar to you. Because why? Because this picture is one of salvation. God appoints Jesus to come. He spends three days and three nights in the tomb, and he swallows our sin up, right? He... He takes us. We're we're covered in him, right? For those that believe, for those who have come to know Christ, that are born again, we're covered in him, right? He carries us out of the pit. He carries us out of the sea, of the despair, and he puts us on dry ground, which I could say a rock, right? That's the picture here that Joan is seeing, he doesn't know Jesus, he's, he's, at least not that we're aware of, that it's going to be 750 years later. But he understands the mercy and the plan of salvation for God. And he's acknowledging it here right before he begins to share his prayer. We see this again. And we can kind of reference this if we go back to Matthew 12. We did this a few weeks ago where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and and they're asking him for a sign. They want him to to do something else. And we see in Matthew 12, verse 39 through 40, he says, but he answered them, this is Jesus now, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Here's the tie. For just as Jonah was in three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he's, he's tying it. I'm not tying it. He's tying that to this picture of salvation. And so Jonah acknowledges this. So what we're going to do is we're quickly going to go through this prayer, and we're going to see every place that Jonah acknowledges something, an attribute about God, and he magnifies God through all of this, right? So what's the first thing that we kind of see here, even before he gets to the prayer that Jonah is acknowledging? by acknowledging God's plan of salvation. Now, did Jonah understand all the depths of that that we do today? We have the, a privilege to be able to look back and, and connect all the dots. We see it all. I, I don't know. But Jonah clearly was saying, the Lord appointed this fish to swallow up Jonah. He's writing about himself here. The Lord did this, Right? So by first acknowledging God's plan of salvation. All right, now let's jump into the prayer. Jonah chapter two, verse one and two. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. See the similarity here? And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Similarity again. And you heard my voice. You can see it's the psalmist. Same type of things. Because he'd been rooted in the Psalms. He'd been studying, I'm sure. He'd been just wrapped up by God's Word. And see, that's the beauty about when we study God's Word. It's, it, it just envelops us. It, it pours out of us because we have placed it in our heart. When you're talking to someone and, and you need a scripture, it won't be there if you've never read it. <laughs> it, it needs to be hidden there. It needs to be meditated on. It needs to be memorized. I don't care what word you use. It needs to be hidden there. If you want to, to really disciple people well, if you want to share the gospel well, you don't need to study and learn the whole Bible word for word, but if you could just learn five or six, seven verses, that'd be a great start, right? Because people want to know what the Bible has to say. They don't, I don't want to say they don't care what you have to say, but you should not care what you have to say. <laughs> You should care about what Scripture says, what God says, because that's what you want to share with somebody. This is what the Lord says, right? This is what the Lord says. And so this is what you're seeing here. So I want to acknowledge here in verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed. Then he prayed. (laughs) In other words, he hadn't prayed yet. In fact, I found this interesting last week. Once again, we're looking at this story. Um, God doesn't give us every detail. My question was always, why didn't Jonah repent before they threw him in? If he had just repented, maybe this calm would have stopped and he could have said, hey, just drop me off the next port, give me a little life raft, throw me in, I'll, I'll go back to Joppa, you guys can go on. But he doesn't do that. I don't know why. It doesn't say. It says they picked him up and threw him in. Somebody asked me last week after service, well, why didn't he just jump in himself? That's a good question. Don't know. We could speculate. Sometimes I think we're too afraid to do the right thing and we need somebody else to do it for us. Right? He didn't want these men to die. But he really didn't want to jump in either, right? But he says, look, guys, if, if you got to do it, then throw me in. Maybe he's hoping that they won't throw him in. They already tried to outrow God, and that wasn't working. And so maybe he's like, well, maybe if I tell them they can throw me in, maybe they won't throw me in. Well, they say, no, we're throwing you in. It's a good deal, right? We're gone. I, I don't know. But then when he gets swallowed up, when, once he's in despair, the sea just represents being swallowed up by the world, swallowed up by all the things that the world could throw at us, and he's sinking, he's being wrapped in seaweed, he's in despair. Then Jonah prays. (laughs) Isn't that true for all of us? Like, instead of coming to God beforehand, we just get so rooted in our rebellion until we get to the very end. It's the prodigal son, right? He leaves, he wants everything, his dad gives him everything, he takes it, and then he has to get to the very end of himself and be eating what the pigs eat before he comes home. We are a stubborn people, right? Instead of going to God and, and counting on him, just like the, Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive me. Give me my daily bread. Lead me this way. That's the prayer that God wants for us. Ahead of time, right? Ahead of time, before we get in the pit. Keep me from getting in the pit, Lord. Don't let me get there. And when I get there, immediately... Confess if you got yourself there and confess. If you haven't got yourself there, ask for mercy. Help help God to get you out, right? Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. And notice it says, his God. (laughs) The God that he's been running from. The God that he disobeyed. Now Jonah says, he's still my God. (laughs) Even though I've disobeyed him. he's He's still for me. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish. So in his despair, in his place of salvation, he prays, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Here it is where where the psalmist relates to this. We're calling out many times out of our distress. Now sometimes that distress can be thrust upon us because of many of the prayer requests that we've talked about over these past few weeks. Challenges in our life, challenges in our own health, challenges in the health of a loved one, uh, our grandchildren, uh, you know, tragic things that have happened in our lives. We're calling out to God out of our distress, and that is a right, a good thing. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. God answers. Now, I'm not saying you get every answer you want the way you want it. I'm not saying that. But God is with us. Through, as a believer, God never leaves us. His Holy Spirit dwells in us. He's been given We've been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit into our salvation for eternity. And God is saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you now. You may not. Some people say, well, I don't feel it. That's why he gives us this. That's what truth is all about. It's not about a feeling. We get feelings from time to time, and praise God for that. We're, we're creatures that are feeling oriented. But we don't trust our feelings. We trust the word of God. We trust the promises of God. That's what we trust in. So when God says he's done this and this is the, he's made us saints, we take it. We stand on that, right? We believe that. God has died for us to be able to say that with confidence. He's done that for us. It says, out of the belly of Sheol, he cried. This is this idea of, of where we die and go there. Is he saying he's dead? No, that's not what the text is trying to say there. He's saying, I feel dead. I'm, I'm on my way to die. I'm in a place. He he doesn't quite understand the full salvation, I don't think, yet. He understands that the fish has been appointed, but we don't quite understand. He doesn't quite understand, I don't think, the full plan of God. And he says, and you heard my voice. Psalm 120, verse 1. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. See the similarity again? See the thing that he's He's heard, he's understood from from Israel, from the creation of Israel, and the psalmist and all the challenges that Israel went through. Like the psalmist, or excuse me, the writer of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Distress was real then, it's real today. There's there's grief then, there's grief today. There's, There's people dying then, there's people dying today. There's sin prevalent of all sorts of sin then and that is today. And so when we read the Psalms, they're timeless because they affect everything that we, that we think about, and they, every aspect of our life that was thousands of years ago is true today. And so what's the next thing we see? here? Not only does Jonah acknowledge the plan of salvation, but he also acknowledges God's purpose in suffering. He's acknowledging, he's praying this, this calling out in distress is because he is suffering. He wasn't doing that before until judgment on him, until suffering entered into his life. He didn't do this. And I don't have, we've talked a lot about suffering, and we're not going to go into each one of these in detail. We don't have time this morning, but this idea that that God works through suffering, that is just a foundational Christian thing. If you want to be a mature believer, whatever you want to think that means, Understanding suffering in the Christian life and and in the world is part of our journey is is absolutely foundational. If if you think that as Christians we won't suffer, then as soon as something bad happens, your faith is gonna be shaken. But if you understand that Jesus suffered, like massively, we see suffering all through scripture in believers and people of God. It doesn't mean that God's not on the throne. It doesn't mean he's not even working through the suffering. In fact, I will tell you, he always works through suffering. I don't always understand it, but I always want to try and trust him through it. Verse 3 and 4. Jonah goes on in his prayer. He says, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So here I just want to say just a few things about that. First of all, it says, "You cast me into the deep. Jonah' very aware of God's hand in this. right? Jonah understands that it is him who has cast him into the deep. It wasn't the men. It was God who cast him into the deep, into the heart of the sea. And, and Jonah is saying, "You've put me someplace where I'm surrounded, I am sinking." The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. He's saying, God, it's your creation. You've put, you are, you're the one that's covering me. You've done this. But then he says, and I'm driven away from your sight. He understands that God is driving him out. Notice that in the Garden of Eden, what did God do when they sinned? He says he drove them out of the garden. When Israel was sinned, he would many times put them into bondage to the Babylonians or the Assyrians, right? There's consequences for sin. We, we talked about that last week. And then it says, and yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. I think that what that's saying is, is like, he still is respecting God's work. He's still doing this. He says, look, you've done it, but, but I'm still gonna honor you, Lord. I'm still going to look to you, even though you've done all this. And what what do I see here? I think that one of the things that Jonah's acknowledging, he's acknowledging God's righteous authority. Was God did have the authority to, to let Jonah die in the sea? Yes. He's a sinner. God can do that. He can be perfectly just. Jonah's been completely disobedient in this act, plus he has sinned in the rest of his life, and there's judgment. That's true for us as believers. We deserve nothing but death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus, right? And so we we deserve death. And so that's why this this picture of salvation is so beautiful. And that what Jonah is beginning to realize, even in the midst, but much of this Jonah would not realize, What he's changing his heart is what I think God is trying to do. Jonah's heart has been hard. He doesn't love the people of Nineveh. He doesn't want to have them saved. And God is beginning to, to show him things about himself. But at the same time, show him his love for him. Verse five and six. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. I don't know. Sometimes I've, I'm sure... I've felt this way and maybe you feel this way at times. I mean, this is when you read the psalmist, you can just kind of like, you just, just partner with him and say, man, this is exactly how I feel. The waters closed in over to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. He's talking about all the way down. He's at the lowest point, the base of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This idea of the picture of of doors shutting behind you. You're so far gone. You're so far down. The doors have closed. It's hopeless. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. I think believers should all relate to that. Some of us, have physically been in the pit more than others, but in our place of sinfulness, we're all in the pit. The door is shut behind us because of sin. And it's the only thing is God's mercy and grace that reaches down into the pit and pulls us out. We can't get out of the pit ourselves. You never see the psalmist say, oh, and Lord, thank you, I got out of the pit on my own. no. There's despair and distress. Sin has put us in this place. Our our decisions, our our rebellion, our sinful hearts, our sinful actions have put us in this place of despair. And we need to cry out. And He cries out. Jonah cries out. The psalmist cries out. And then Jonah here is acknowledging, yet you brought up my life from the pit. I did not save myself, God. He's acknowledging that God is the one that is doing this. Right? It's this beautiful prayer of of understanding what God is doing. And then he has this feeling, oh, Lord, my God, like, I'm so grateful, like, I'm overwhelmed by you. The psalmist in Psalm 69, 1, it says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Psalm 30, verse 3 says, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to a life among those whom go down to the pit. See, it's all intertwined. He's he's been reading and meditating in the Psalms and it's just pouring through his heart and pouring through his emotions and what he's experienced here. And so what's the next thing we see that Jonah acknowledges? Jonah acknowledges God's incredible mercy. It's mercy because he deserved to die. His rebellion, he deserved to die, but God in his great mercy brings him up from the pit. But he waits until he gets all the way to the bottom. Sometimes God does that. Because our hearts are so, so stubborn. Sometimes, once again, it's the prodigal son. He allows him to lose and squander everything and be so far away. And then God calls him back home. And he responds. He cries out and he comes home. Maybe some of you are running and you, God is waiting and it feels like you're just sinking and sinking. And I would tell you, just cry out to God. He will hear your voice, and he will respond. Verse 7 and 8. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So Jonah now is... Seeing his self at the end and he knows that all these other people, these men on the ship, the mariners, they were praying to their gods. He's, he's lived in a world, obviously Nineveh, he's seen maybe them and he's saying all these people are, are paying regard to vain idols. They're not real. Either their thoughts in their heads, their physical idols, their stone, their wood. And he's, and he's just acknowledging, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols, they're vain, there's, there's no hope in those forsake their hope of steadfast love. He's identifying God as love. The idols don't love. The idols don't care. They can't. There's nothing to them. He sees a personal love from God. And he's saying that that is where our hope is at. That is where his hope is at. His only hope is that God's love would redeem him from the pit, pull him up out of the ocean. And in his prayer, he's acknowledging that now. And so what's the next one we see that he acknowledges? He acknowledges God's unwavering love. You could say steadfast, unwavering is just another word for that. Verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will repay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. (laughs) But I, with a voice of thanksgiving... (laughs) Can you imagine that Jonah is thankful at this point? Yes. Because even in all his sin, even in all his rebellion, he knows what he deserves, and he understands the mercy and the grace of God. And he's acknowledging that he should be thankful. And then he says, we'll sacrifice to you. We could talk about that, but I just want to move on to the next one. What I have vowed, I will repay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Once again, we're going to have to step in and say, okay, what do we think this means? What I have vowed, I will repay. We don't know. I would argue that he's probably vowing to go to Nineveh, right? He's probably saying, okay, I got it. (laughs) I know what I need to do. I know you told me to arise and to go. I vow I'll do it this time. I will. And what we see is in chapter 3, God says, arise and go to Nineveh. And he does. So I'm thinking, contextually here, he's saying, I'm going to go, Lord. I see what you've done. I've seen your mercy. I've seen that you are powerful. You, You have authority over me. I see you're merciful, right? I know that you have the authority, and I will go. Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High. Now, this could have been priests or things, but these idea, the things they vowed to do, they were, they were obligated to do. They were wanting to do. They wanted to fulfill their vows. And Jonah now says, Lord, I've made a vow to you. I will fulfill it. I will do this. Whatever it is, and I believe it's going to Nineveh, and he, you'll see that he does do it. There's other challenges moving on, but he does fulfill that vow. So two things we want to see here. The next one is, is that Jonah acknowledges God is worthy of our obedience, or of his obedience. And I would argue the same. God is worthy of our obedience. I mean, I think about it all the time in my prayer life. Because I know my own heart, my sinfulness. I know my own my struggles, my pride. My, I just know when I rebel, and I know when I don't follow what God wants me to do. And when I pray, I think, you have given me everything. How can I, how can I say that I don't, shouldn't be obedient? I mean, that's like me being, I mean, I, I know he's given me the opportunity to disobey. But like, why would I disobey? He's given me everything. It just goes to show the power of the flesh. That's why you always going to guard it. You always want to, that's why I tell people all the time, you don't put yourself in hard positions. You don't put yourself in tempting positions. What, the Psalm, what did the, the, Jesus say? Lead us not into temptation. He's saying, don't put yourself in tempting positions because your flesh is a powerful thing and it will want what it wants. So if you have an alcoholic problem, don't go to the bar. Don't keep beer in the fridge, right? If you have a, a problem with, you know, infidelity, don't go to lunch with another person of the opposite sex. Don't be alone with anybody from the opposite sex. Just don't do it. Your flesh is gonna want it. I don't, I don't care what you think, your flesh is gonna want it. Don't be left alone with the pound of brownies. It's not good, you know? Unless you got a gallon of milk, right? <laughs> So my point is, is that every one of those things are core things. That's <laughs> why Dave Ramsey would tell you don't, you, don't use credit cards. Because when you go to Home Depot or Lowe's or Menards or wherever it is, whatever you want to go, the famous place you want to go and spend your money, the shoe store, ladies, I don't know, take cash. Why? Because your flesh is going to want to buy a bunch of stuff. And if you only have 50 bucks or 100 bucks, that's all you can spend. But you got the credit card, man. Woo. Katie barred the door. So by acknowledging God is worthy of our obedience. Second thing I think we see here. It says by acknowledging only God has the power to save. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Not to anyone else. There is no other God. There is no other way to be saved. Right? Luke in the book of Acts records, he says, you know, there's no other name that men must be saved except for the name of Jesus. Salvation belongs to the Lord. All right, we've got to wrap up. Jonah 2.10. And the Lord spoke to the fish. I love that because when we started this, it says, and the Lord appointed a great fish. And now it's wrapping up with a bookend that says, and the Lord spoke to the fish that he appointed and it vomited Jonah out of the, uh, upon dry land. God was faithful. God's purpose is working through it. He's honoring the prayer. is he, praying. He understands it. And so what, what, what's the next step here this morning? Because I want to get to this before we let you guys go. The next step is magnify God by acknowledging who he truly is. Not just giving lip service, not, not just, just but acknowledging on a regular, daily basis who he really is. Who he really is. Jonah's prayer does that in all of these things. He's acknowledging that God is the only one that can save. He's acknowledging the mercy. He's acknowledging God's righteous authority. He's acknowledging all of those things. He's acknowledging that God has a plan of salvation, and it's only him. Right? He's acknowledging it. We need to acknowledge all those things every day and understand who God truly is. And so one of the ways that we do that as a body is we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And so right now, I'm going to ask the men to get up and uh, distribute um, what we call the elements, the, the cracker, the, what we call the unleavened bread, and the juice. Now, if you're a guest with us this morning, you are free to participate in this um, the celebration of the Lord's Supper. But here's what I would say. If you're not In Christ, if you're not a believer, you should not take communion. If you are in unrepentant sin, in other words, you know you have sin in your life, you know what it is, you don't want to confess it, you're unrepentant, you're you're Jonah, and you're fleeing. Scripture would say, and I'm going to read it here in a minute, that you should not take it. Because you're, you're mocking God a little bit, you're saying, "Yeah, I, I want to partake in the body, I want to partake, and I want everything that Jesus has to offer, but I don't want to live that way at all. I'm, I'm going to rebel." And so we see this, just as you get it, just hold on to it. You see this in 1 Corinthians 11:23 through29. Paul says, "For what I received, he's talking to the church here in Corinth. He says, for I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you. She's just passing on what he's taught, been taught by the Lord. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And when he would given thanks, excuse me, he broke it. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here it is. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself so then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. So this is something that's a very serious thing. And so I would just ask, we're going to give you a few minutes here uh, to spend some time in prayer. I would just tell you to first acknowledge who God is. Our Father, who in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy. Then acknowledge that you're a sinner. That you need him to forgive you. You need him to provide for you. You need him to lead you. You need him for all of it. You are fully dependent upon him. He is a righteous authority. He is a loving God, unwavering in his love for his people. He is worthy of our obedience. And so I'm just going to give you a few minutes to pray. If you confess your sin, that's unrepentant, then feel free to take. If if right now you're in sin and, and you're your, your heart is struggling and you have the elements and at some point here you, you just won't, you won't give in, then I would tell you not to take it and throw it in the trash as you go out. But if you confess, you say, but I may do it again. I know, we'll deal with that later. Right now you just want your heart to be open. You want, you want to just acknowledge your need for him. I'll come back up here in just a minute and we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and we had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We're acknowledging a lot of things when we celebrate communion primarily we're acknowledging his death. We're acknowledging his life that he lived because we're saying someone died. So we're acknowledging his life. We're saying that Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel really did live 2,000 years ago, really walked the earth and really did die. And he suffered. His body was broken for us. And we can extrapolate many things from that. Some people say, well, he was beaten and yet never broke a bone. Obviously, that was part of the prophecy, but he was beaten almost to death before he was crucified. So his body was broken. I would also argue that I think symbolically there that Jesus broke his flesh and never sinned. Think about that for a second. If I asked you to never sin for the next month, you would have to break your flesh. Because it's gonna want to sin, you have to break it, you have to defeat it. And God, through in Christ, broke His flesh. He did not sin. He broke it, he had victory over it. He's fully man, fully God. So what do we see there? We're acknowledging that He's God in the flesh. He never sinned. We can't do that. So now, not only are we acknowledging that he's fully God, we're acknowledging that Jesus was God in the flesh. We're also acknowledging when we do this that Christ is going to come again. He's going to return. When we celebrate this, when we come and say, no, this was Jesus, we're then celebrating all the things that Jesus said would happen. He's going to save those who will turn and repent and believe in him. He will come again to bring his church to himself. He will raise the dead There will be a new heaven and a new earth. All of the promises are wrapped in Christ. And he has said in his word, he is the word, that these things are going to happen. And so when we partake of communion together, we acknowledge that. And we acknowledge that we are one because we celebrate from one loaf. We all partake of Christ, one loaf. That's why we love each other the way we should. That's the way we should respect each other. We're not all going to be best friends and have pizza together, but we acknowledging that we're one in Christ, and that comes with a responsibility and a privilege of how we live out the Christian life as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that means it's not always easy. That means you're going to have some tough conversations. You're going to have to say and speak your last 10% in love and respect. But all those things are being acknowledged when we say we're coming and we're taking from one loaf, we're acknowledging that Jesus is who he says he is and that he died for our sins and we have salvation in that alone. I encourage you this week, acknowledge him for who he truly is. In your prayer life, in your conversations, in the things that you watch, in the things that you listen to, in the actions that you do. Everything, every one of those things is acknowledging him. About what you think about him, what you believe about him. Acknowledge him as he truly is. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for our time together today. Thank you that Jonah illustrates so many things in here in his prayer that we all need to hear. We acknowledge that you are worthy of our prayer. We acknowledge today that you alone are righteous and just. We acknowledge that that you are merciful and gracious. We acknowledge that you alone have the power to save. And so, Father, we thank you for our time together today. As we celebrate here the Lord's Supper communion, we acknowledge that we are partaking from one loaf, which is Christ. All of us. That are gonna be in heaven are gonna be through Him. No other way. You alone. You alone are worthy. May you receive all the praise this morning from our time together. May we seek after you and follow you and want to honor you with our lives and we praise you for the grace that you give us when we fail. Not judgment but grace, something we do not deserve. So Father, this morning we just praise you. And I pray, obviously, if there's someone here today that does not know you, that has not heard the gospel, and maybe today is the first time, or maybe they've been running as as a non-believer, and today they've heard the gospel, and I pray that you will quicken in their heart, and you will cause them to be born again. You will give them a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. And we will celebrate with them we will walk alongside them in fellowship and rejoice together. And it's your son's precious, holy, beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at Have a blessed day.